Good morning. It is great to see you today. Good to be with you. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'll never take it for granted. Uh, I don't think as long as I live, just being together with other people and the impact that that has. It's great to be with you. My name's Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at Silver Creek. And we're so glad that you have joined us. And uh, you might be listening to this message at some point later on. We're so glad that you have taken a moment to do so. You might be right here with us uh, in-house this morning, and we're glad for that. Our series is called Better, and this particular message is Better Equipped. And so I want to start really with defining that word equip. Uh, The idea of equip, the definition is that Uh, It's providing whatever is needed for a particular undertaking. It also means to furnish intellectual and emotional resources. It means uh, to prepare. I like that word, prepare. And so today we are going to talk about this concept, this idea of being better equipped from uh, the, the sense of being the church, the body of Christ, The Greek word for equip, it refers to someone who works with their hands to make or build things. The first time that it's used in the New Testament is when Jesus is calling his disciples and he says to them, I will make you fishers of men. What he is saying is, I'm going to build you into something. I'm going to to, uh, develop you into not a, a better fisher of fish, but a better fisher of men. It means manufacture. It means construct. Jesus is saying, I'm going to make you into something different. I'm going to construct you into something new. Then again, at the end of Jesus' ministry, we see him uh, talk again about this idea of making them into something when he gives us what is known as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, you know, he tells them uh, to go into all the world and make disciples. So Jesus, for the past three years, had been equipping them so that they could go out and as part of the church, they could equip others. They could teach them the gospel. So within the context of community, this Christian, the idea of the church, which is simply a Christian community... A group of believers within that context, I believe that we are able to become better equipped as believers to carry out the mandate of the kingdom of God. That our effectiveness is far greater. We become better equipped when we are together as the body of Christ. I want to read a quote from Ed Stetzer, who is an author that I tend to enjoy. And Stetzer says this, spiritual growth happens better with others in community with open lines of communication and freedom to speak into one another's lives. Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 27 verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I believe that as the church, we become better in our pursuit of a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we become better when we are together 
in the context of the body of Christ. And what I'd like to do today is look at three different ways that we are better equipped as the church. The first one is getting into shape. Now, I realize that, that, that just that phrase can really put us in a, in, sometimes in a place where that, that creates a lot of anxiety. You know, we, we say, well, I'm, I'm not in as good of, of shape as I would like to be. But Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, he points out and, and, and gives us a list of spiritual leadership gifts in the church. And, and what he does here is he, he tells us what that list is, and then he tells us what they do. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, where Paul says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So God provides Paul with this list of spiritual leadership in the church, and he says that, that the purpose behind those giftings for the church is to do a couple of different things. The first one is to, to help people grow spiritually and to develop um, as and into the body of Christ. And then secondly, it's to prepare those individuals for works or acts of service to others. And so it's really the idea of bringing them into a kind of fitness where they are able to do ultimately what God has called them to. Now, 2020, nobody has to, to, to really debate this, but 2020 has just been about as, as weird of a year as you can possibly have. And, and for me, this past summer has been very strange. Um, and I, there's a couple things that I really look forward to over the summer. And um, I work, I, I, I kind of work from, from March until, um, until this time of year getting ready for those things. And this year, those events were all canceled because of covid and so it, it, it just has totally changed everything. Uh, in a normal summer, you know, um, I, I would, on Saturday, I would do long runs. And, and last year, we, we decided, me and some of my friends decided, let's get really crazy. Let's train for a marathon. And so Saturday was, uh, uh, Saturday morning, starting at 5 in the morning, who does this? Who gets up on your own willingly at 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning to put a headlamp on and to go run for 14 miles, or 16, or 18, or 20, in, in order to get ready for a marathon. But that's what we were doing. And this year, the, the motivation just isn't there. You know, on the Saturday long runs, you're like, ah, you know what? No, not really. It's just totally different. Why? Because those events are motivation that help me, at least, get prepared for those longer runs. I love that idea of I've got to get ready because of this particular event. Those things really helped me. But, but last year we were, at this time, we were, man, we were in marathon shape. We were, we were getting ready for that big 26, you know, 0.2 mile run. We were, uh, we were doing it. We were, we were crazy. In fact, on the day of the marathon, it snowed that day in October last year 
a little further to the west here. But we're getting in shape. We're getting in condition. We had just run uh, in September. We'd run the half marathon. And so we, we were in shape for 13 miles. But then if you're going to make it to over 26 miles, you've got you've to do something different. And so you're, you're trying to get your lungs, you're trying to get your cardiovascular in shape. I was going to say that you're trying to get your muscles and your legs in shape, but actually somebody told me that, that uh, a big difference between the half marathon and the marathon is you actually start tearing muscle apart the farther you run. So I can't even say that we're building, you're building muscle, but you're definitely building your cardiovascular to, to get out to those longer distances. And there is a similarity to the body of Christ. When we come together, we are being built. We are being conditioned and prepared for a level of fitness that is greater than we previously were. Now, let me, let me use this illustration of running a little bit further. And, and if anybody has ever run and you've run a long distance. Now, some of you might say the end of the driveway is a long distance, Okay. But if you, if you run long distances, the worst thing that you can do in running a long distance is to run it alone or, and or without music, okay? Uh, being with somebody or music really makes a difference in your long run. The, 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 when we do something like that without someone else, it's much more difficult. Look at what Matthew chapter 18 says. Verses 19 and 20. He said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. All throughout scripture, there is something about being together. There is something different. There is something better about being with other people, particularly, excuse me, when those people are part of the body of Christ. I, there are some verses in Ecclesiastes. I, so bad I wanted to use those here, but that's going to apply to another message as we get further into the month. But the idea is just like training for a marathon, it is so much easier. When my alarm clock goes off, in the morning, I know that if I don't get out of bed, my running buddy is going to be standing on the corner in the dark waiting for me, and I'm not going to be there. And that makes a difference. And in the body of Christ, when we have relationship with each other as followers of Christ, it makes a difference in our lives. On Labor Day, we were, man, we were getting ready. You know, we, we, we wanted to run the, our normal uh, race Labor Day weekend, and because all the races were canceled, we decided we had to do it virtually. So we showed up in the dark at the start line here in Marquette for the half marathon, four of us. We even had someone that was our road crew that would meet us. They would, they would jump ahead and, and they would have, you know, some uh, Gatorade for us and maybe a banana and something like that. It was, it was a blast. So we, we started running and I noticed that one of my running buddies who I run with all the time was really struggling. And finally, he said, I, I don't know if I can make it. And I was, I was shocked. I mean, I've been running with this person since March. 
And I, and I was really shocked. And so he said, you know, when we get to the next little uh, cross street here, I think I'm going to bail. I, I'm going to get a ride home. I'm done. And I was, I was just amazed. And so we got to that stop and, you know, everybody was getting a little Gatorade and, you know, maybe, maybe a banana, something like that, a piece of fruit. And we were hurrying so we could get back on the road and we're, we're sort of going to say goodbyes here to our, our running partner. And then he said, well... I, Maybe, maybe I can go, you know, to the next cross street, you know. And so, okay, great, wonderful. Come on, let's go. We can do it, you know, and you encourage. And, and all of a sudden, we get to the next cross street. Hey, how you doing? I think I'm, 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 I, I can go one more. And then pretty soon, it was just okay. And, and they finished the entire race without any problem. But it was that, that aspect of being together because if we were alone, I will guarantee you that that person would not have finished that race. And in the body of Christ, there is so much similarity. The Christian Post reports that on a weekly basis, there are 3,500 people in the church that bail on the church. 3,500 people weekly. This is a 2015 statistic. That is phenomenal to me. How many people are saying, I'm done. Um, I, I, can't, I just can't make it. And the, the place where they can, they can be encouraged to continue is right there within the context of the church. And yet, they're walking away from it. They're in a marathon and they're struggling and they don't even know it. They need someone to encourage them to keep going. Somebody that can help them get into that place, even if it's only in their own head. That's the thing about, about running that you ask anybody, what's harder, physical or mental? They will tell you mentally it's much harder than it is physically. And people need to be encouraged to get in that place where they know they can, they can make it. Number two is the idea of at the ready. So our question is this. How can we become better equipped as part of the body of Christ? How can that happen? I want to have you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where Paul says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, there's that word, for every good work. What I am saying is this, that the word of God is absolutely foundational for your spiritual life, your Christian life. It is absolutely foundational. It is simply the most important thing for you and I to grow, we, we have to be exposed to, we have to have it in our lives. Paul Maxwell is an author, and he wrote this. He said there's five attributes of the Bible, and I just want to really highlight them very quickly. And the first one is this, infallibility. The word of God is infallible. It is going to accomplish exactly what God wants it to accomplish. 
And so just the idea of having God's word in our life and that it is infallible, it is going to have the impact that God desires it to have. We say that the Bible is inspired. Uh, The the King James says that, or or rather, it's, it's actually the Greek that says it, that God literally breathed it into the writers. And when God breathed it into the writers, it, he was the source. It, it was not something that was derived in their hearts and minds. It was from God. He was breathing it into their spirit. Therefore, it is his word alone and it is infallible. Next is sufficiency. Jude says that, that the Bible was once for all delivered. So, so it was given once, and, and that once is enough, that we need nothing else. The third thing is necessity. The idea of necessity is that, that the Bible is the only thing that tells us the message of the gospel. There is no other book. There is no other um, conversation apart from what we find in the Word of God. So there's lots of books that have been written about the Word of God. There's lots of conversations that we have where we talk about and we relay the Word of God. But there's nothing outside of Scripture that we need in order to know the message of the gospel. The fourth thing is authority. You see, the Bible is true because God said it. When I said a moment ago that God breathed it into the the spirit of those that were the authors, they wrote it down, but it was all him. It is all what he desires, and therefore it is our authority. God has spoken it. And then finally, clarity, number five, that the Bible has clarity about God's plan of salvation. The message of the gospel is very clear. Fourth century theologian John Chrysostom said this. He said, all things are clear and open that are in the divine scriptures. The the necessary things are all plain. The Bible is the source that equips us. The Bible is the source of what strengthens us. The Bible is the source of what builds us and constructs us into what God has for our lives. Someone might say, but what about these other things that, that God has shown me? What about these things that I feel like God has spoken to me? Or, or maybe something that someone else has told me. What, what about those things? Well, the bottom line is that if it doesn't line up with what the Word of God says, then it's not worth a hill of beans. When I was in Bible college, there was a, a dating, um, a, a way guys would try to get dates, way that a guy might try to land a girl, and he would approach a girl, and he would say, God told me, you're going to be my wife. I pity the poor girl that didn't line that up with the scripture because I would have gone back to my room and I'd scour the scripture. Lord, are you trying to speak to me? Listen, if it's not, no matter what somebody or, or what we even feel we've heard from God, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, 
It is not the truth. It does not have the authority. The Bible is God's revelation of himself to man. So that brings us to the second part of our question or the second question, and that is, if, how, how, what's, what role does the church have in this process of us growing in our faith? What process does it have? If the Bible is the foundation, then what's the role of the church? I want to allude to a survey that was done by Lifeway Research of 1,000 Americans. This is the key word, Americans. Okay, Of the, those that were surveyed, 27% said that the Bible was not a priority. They were asked about, do you read the Bible, and if not, why? So 27%, it's not a priority. 15% said they just didn't have time. Uh, 13% said that they had already read enough. 9%, this is, the, this is the group I love. I want to hang out with these people. They just don't read books. <laughs> I like that. That's a good group of people. They are honest, painfully honest, and I want to hang out with those people. 9% also said that it just doesn't relate 6% have never been to a hotel because they don't have a copy. They don't have a smartphone. You know, I can get up more copies of the Bible than I will ever own just on my phone. So that doesn't seem like that holds true, but that's what they said. They don't have a copy. And 10% say that they simply disagree with it. So why would they read it? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, that's Americans. What about the church? The church has to be different from that. And I, I would like to tell you that the church is completely different than that. That 100% of everybody that's a part of a local church, man, they devour their Bible on a daily basis. Wouldn't that be great if I could say that? Scott McDonald, uh, who's the executive director of uh, Lifeway Research, here's what he says on that subject. He said, even among worship attendees, less than half read the Bible daily. The only time most Americans hear from the Bible is when someone else is reading it. That, that, that just blew me away when I read that. The only time they, they, they hear it or that they encounter it is when someone else is reading it. Churchgoers, people that go to church, are three times more likely to read their Bibles. I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg, which one came first, but the reality is that being a part of a community of believers statistically ensures that you will hear and read and engage and encounter the Bible more than if you don't go to church. We need God's word in our lives. We need it. And the, the local body of believers, the body of Christ... This, this group of, of people that gather together with a like and precious faith, that's the place where we are going to statistically have a far greater chance of having the word of God impact our lives. And then finally, number three is the battle of wills. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but I want to ask you this question. What do you think was 
the most difficult thing that Jesus came up against or faced during his lifetime? Do you think that it was when he encountered the demons um, that, that he cast out of people? Um, do you think it was when he was in, in the wilderness for 40 days fasting and then it says that the devil came to him and tempted him? Was that the hardest thing? How about the Pharisees? When the Pharisees came up against him and even plotted to kill him. Maybe it was his trial when he was before Pilate. Was that the hardest thing that he ever faced? I think it was probably getting Peter to be quiet, but that's just me personally. What was the hardest thing that Jesus ever faced? He, 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 he obviously, he faced the Romans but I think that Jesus actually tells us because on the, the, the night that he was arrested, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, and he spent time praying, and the Bible says that, that it was so intense, and this is actually a physical condition, I don't remember the name of it, but um, he actually sweat drops of blood. That, that when he was praying and he knew that his time had come, he knew that he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to give his life. And he says, God, I know that this is your plan of salvation. I know that this is what you want for all mankind. But I've got to tell you, if there's any way possible that we could do this another way, now's the time to let me know. Because... And it's hard for us to imagine Jesus saying this because I really don't want to do it. Now, anybody that's a parent of a teenager has been told, I don't really want to do that. Even if just in the, the way they say things or their attitudes, we know when they don't want to do something, okay? Jesus said, he said, God, I don't want to do this, but I will bend my will to yours, I will submit my will to your will. And that's, I believe that is absolutely the hardest thing. And I think that for you and I, that is the hardest thing that we, will, that we ever face is the idea of bending our will to God's will. Because at some point... Our will goes this way when God's will is going that way. Romans says that, that God's will is pleasing and it's perfect. That, that, that his will is so different from anything that, that we really imagine. And we think we've got the best way, right? But some ways, sometimes, our wills go in a different direction than God's. And for us to come to that place where we can surrender our will to God. It's hard to do that. When we're all by ourselves. It's hard to do that. When we're not in, in a relationship with other people that are attempting to do the very same thing. Jesus, I'm, I'm so thankful that it wasn't difficult for him. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 21, the writer of Hebrews He's talking about the peace of God, and he said, or rather the God of peace. And he says, May the God of peace, and then verse 21, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
This author of Hebrews, he was, he was praying that God would help equip believers to do God's will because it is so difficult for us. It is challenging for us because it goes against what we want to do. God's will, it's perfect, it's pleasing, it's good, but sometimes it's just not what we want to do. And it's hard. So how does the church factor into this? How does the church help us to be better equipped to do God's will during this season in our lives? James chapter 4 and verse 7, James says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So when we, res- when we submit ourselves to God, something is happening in our lives. We, when we align our will with what he desires us to do. I said it earlier, Proverbs 27 and verse 17, so as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The idea of iron sharpening iron is taking a file and, and sharpening another piece of iron. That when that happens, that piece of iron is submitted to the will of the file. The file is designed to make that that iron, that steel sharp. And it's not always a fun process, but it is a time when, when there is a change that is gonna happen. And when you begin to engage that file, you begin to change the iron. You begin to make it into a fit instrument to use. Have you ever tried to use a knife that wasn't sharp? It's terrible. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. But if you take a sharp knife, man, it gets the job done immediately. And when you're using the right tool and that tool is in the right condition, it's easy to get the job done. When our lives are sharpened by other people, God can use us in a way that otherwise he's not been able to do. When we get in that process of iron sharpening iron, it really jump starts our creativity. It, it revives our passions. It intensifies the discernment in our lives and it, and it motivates our actions. Other people make us better. As we pursue Christ, and you think, well, it's just about me and Jesus. Well, that's true, but, but when other people are in our life and they're also pursuing Jesus, and we do life side by side and we sharpen one another, it makes us better. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It takes an act of our will to submit to God when he wants us to go someplace and we want to go a different place, it takes an act of our will to submit to another brother or sister in Christ and allow ourselves to be sharpened, allow ourselves to be changed, to be manufactured, constructed into that instrument that ultimately God wants to use us to be. This is a difficult season for the church. This is hard. Nationwide, it's challenging. We're being divided. 
And we're being divided over issues that we never imagined would be issues. We're, it's, it's, it's challenging. It's tough. So what does that mean? The church is being divided. I, I said earlier that 3,500 people a week when that survey was done in 2015 um, were leaving the church on a weekly basis. That year that would have played out to 1.2 million people leaving the church on an annual basis. And my question is, what do you think it is now? Because I think that there are people for a variety of reasons, they think, man, I, I don't know if I can go back. Maybe they're hurt. Maybe it just it's just easier. It's not as stressful in this environment to think about going to a church. I look around, you have masks on. It'd be just easier to think, man, it's just easier. So what, what, what value does the church have in my life? What value does getting together with other believers in Jesus, what does that have? The church is a place where we can, we can get in, in better spiritual shape. And it's because of others. It's a place that, 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 that communicates the word of God, that, that challenges us to submit ourselves to God and to one another to become what God ultimately wants us to be. I'm reminded of a scripture in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. It says, you have intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I believe that this is really a, a, a scripture that demonstrates what's happening right now. I believe the enemy is laughing. I believe he's having a great time because churches in, in America and the world have, they, they've just never been more empty. Why? Because of the concerns of the virus, which I totally understand. But that lack of community that we have, that lack of being connected to one another, the lack of sharpening in our lives, he thinks this is it. But what God is saying is that the enemy may have meant it for your demise, for your destruction, but I'm working through it. And I'm going to do something great through it. And so I believe that God has a plan. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan for this community and whatever community you live in. And he's going to bring that about. And he has called the church to have an impact in our world today. And the church is simply believers being together being who God has called us to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can be encouraged by your word today. I thank you that, that we can gather and worship together. And, and Lord, even in the midst of, of what is a very difficult season for the church, you call us to be better equipped. Father, I pray that, that as Christians that we will say, you know what, I, I, I want to be sharpened. I want to be sharpened by other people. I want to I become 
what God wants me to be. I want to be manufactured and constructed and built into what God wants me to be through the power of his Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that this week that we would begin to to really challenge ourselves to find those connections, to find those relationships where we can be sharpened. Father, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name.